Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Collider Ladies Night. I am very excited to talk some Rings of Power right now with Nazanin Baniati. Oh my, I'm so happy I finally get to talk to you after seeing episodes. Oh my goodness. Oh, that's right. Last time you hadn't seen it. Okay. There's right. There's been a lot of stuff that I've been very curious about. Now I have yeah. answers, but also now I just have more questions. So Yes, I understand that fully. All right. So the first thing we do on ladies night is we play a game called dicey questions. And usually it involves a dice tower, but the dice tower is on the West coast. I am on the East coast at the moment. So you will pick your own numbers here. I have eight questions. You'll give me three numbers and then whatever questions you land on, that is where we start at least. Um, so do I choose them now? Pick maybe pick one at a time. Cause I'll never remember them. <laughs> Two. Okay. We have already landed on a Rings of Power one, which makes me happy. If you could swap roles with anyone in the cast, who would you pick and why would you want to play that character? Oh, uh, I'm going to have to say Nori, uh, Brandy Foot, played by Markella Kavanagh, because I just think she's got so much heart. Um, there's just so much empathy. And that character just is an empath. And I love, I love that. I love this whole ensemble. Bronwyn and Nori are my favorite thus far. I mean it. I mean it. All right. What is your second number? Um, Okay. I'm going to go with eight. Okay. Eight is a solid pick too. I'm actually really happy you picked this one. I'll explain why after you give me your answer, but this one is called zombie apocalypse team up. There is a zombie outbreak on the set of rings of power. You can select two cast members to join your team of survivors. Which two cast members do you pick to give yourself the best chance of surviving? Ismail Cruz Cordova's character, Arondir, because- The real the Aron. real person, not the character. Oh, the real person. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. Oh, that makes it slightly more interesting. Yeah. I think, I'm going to have to say Sofia Nonvete because um, A, she's a dear friend of mine, but B, she will just like- defend her, her loyalty you know of like nope you don't mess with my friends nope um but I think that's very important okay. um and 
goodness, who's the second person? I'm going to have to go with Ismail, I think, because ah, oh, it's tie. It's a tie between Markella and Ismail, because I I think there's there's both of those things. I need that sort of like. I think Markella has this ability to look at a person and the, the, maybe the zombie will just freeze because it's no muscle power needed. She's just got those eyes that'll just make you like, oh, maybe I don't want to hurt anybody because look, at she's looking at me with such kindness. And then Ismail's got that just like, don't mess with, with my peeps. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm happy we landed on this one because I just played that with Markella a couple minutes ago and she picked you. Yeah. So I, love I, think, I think you're all on the same wavelength and it's yeah, the right yeah. one. All right, yeah. we have one more number to pick. What you got? Three. All right, three is never again. What is something that you did for a role in the past that now makes you say, I'm really glad that I tried that, but I'd rather not do that again. Yeah, this one is like the answer came to me immediately. And that is on How I Met Your Mother, there was a scene with a rat on, on Nora's head. Yeah, that was a real rat. And that rat decided to defecate on, on this head. And it was, it was disgusting guys. Never again. Am I going to act with a rat? Is it like when a bird poops on you and it's supposed to be oh, good luck? Like a good omen? Oh, uh, even if it is good luck, I feel like, yeah, don't need that kind of luck. No. Fair no. enough. Fair <laughs> enough. All right. Let's jump into the meat of it. Now, every uh, ladies night conversation begins here. What is the movie, the performance, personal experience, you name it, that first made you say to yourself, I have to be an actor. That That's really, okay. I, I want to say it was Roman Holiday and Audrey Hepburn because I just, I, I, I love all things Audrey. Um, but that movie was just so special to me. Um, the magic of not only her, but that, that entire movie. Um, the idea of being transported completely and utterly and having, <laughs> and sort of just like dreaming. I think it's about dreaming. Um, yeah, I, 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 that's when I was like, I just want me to make people dream, you know? As you're explaining yeah. that, I'm thinking, yeah, the movie that made me dream and believe is Jurassic Park. So it's like two totally oh. different examples of getting that's it. The same. So funny. Yeah. It's movie magic. It is. It's movie magic. All right. So you say to yourself, I want to be an actor. But yeah. then what did you think at the time step one to becoming an actor was and now having gone through that phase of the process, is that step something you would recommend to an aspiring actor out there? So it's interesting because I was going to be a doctor and I was pre-med. So my degree is in biology and I graduated with honors because I worked so hard. It did not come naturally to me. And then in my mid twenties, I was like, oh, I'm going to go act now. And needless to say, my parents were like, wait, what? You can't just throw away medicine. And so I just started taking as many classes as I could. Um, I didn't go to drama school at the time. Um, but yeah, I think my, my advice would be to my younger self of it's okay to make mistakes on screen and learn from it because I was so hell bent on you know, I had, as a lot of actors do, imposter syndrome, right? Of like, I, I'm supposed to be a doctor. I'm not supposed to be doing this. Um, and yeah, so I think just, it's okay. Cut, cut yourself some slack and just, and just, it's okay to like learn as you go and, and improve and grow. I feel like I might be getting too specific with this follow-up, but do you remember a moment on set where it really hit you where maybe being word perfect wasn't the right route, but you actually had to feel something out in the moment and maybe make a mistake in order to find the magic in a scene? Yeah, I, I remember because my first really sort of 
continuous job was general hospital and I remember because you know you shoot what is an episode a day you don't have time to play as much as you want to you're usually doing one at the most two takes to sort of like get the day done and so with that comes just learning lines and not sometimes being able to play with it as much as you want and I would I would just put so much pressure on myself of like no but I wanted to do it more this way or that way and and sometimes it's about just the logistics of of getting something done and being hard on ourselves actually doesn't help the process. Need to remind myself of that more often than I yeah. do. Um, yeah. Opening it up to all of your other uh, TV experience or or maybe like some of the smaller roles to start or some of the shorter appearances, like things like uh, How I Met Your Mother, Scandal, Before Becoming a Series Regular, which would you say kind of illuminated things the most for you in terms of, you know, what you wanted in an onset environment when you were committed to a show as a series regular? Those two examples that you gave were perfect examples of, I, first of all, I'm pinching myself because it's like the the first comedy I did was what one of the biggest comedies out there, How I Met Your Mother. The first series I landed as a, as a series regular drama was Homeland. I'm like pinching myself. It had come off of Golden Globes and Emmy wins and a sort of a cultural moment, um, that, that show. And then the first fantasy I do is is this. I, I don't know how I've gotten so lucky, but with each of these jobs, I've learned so much. How I Met Your Mother was all about cast dynamic, having fun on set. Those showrunners um, were, you know, I, I just love them so much. Just the kindest, um, most nurturing, most humble people. And um, I learned what it is to be a part of something, even though I was a recurring role and not a series regular, of being accepted. And um, th those actors are just so lovely. And then Scandal, the incredible powerhouse Shonda Rhimes, um, just is just a staunch advocate of all things good, I feel like. And she is, um, you know, she taught me what it is to be a fierce female leader in this industry and um and and create a really and Kerry too Kerry Washington was such you know she created from the top up they, those ladies created such a a wonderful inclusive environment so I feel so lucky to have been um just sort of learned from the best and come up through such great examples of what it is to be a successful not only a successful show but a, a, a well-functioning a well-oiled show I feel like the more we talk about that part of the process, the better, but I'm actually yeah. going to veer away from that really quickly and talk a little more about like the craft and, and the actual process of uh, bringing these characters to screen in all of your past TV and film projects, which two actors would you say have the most polar opposite approach to their work where, you know, when you were on set with one person versus another, you would know that you as their scene partner would have a completely different experience and it would kind of, you know, broaden your your idea of how many different processes and approaches there are out there. Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I've gone, it's so different because when you're working in comedy, there's a looseness, there's a banter that goes on between takes, there's a, you know, you're not staying in, well, sometimes you are, I suppose, depending on what you're filming, but, you know, there's Homeland versus How I Met Your Mother, two completely different experiences. So you have someone who is more 
method and stays in it like a Mandy Patinkin um, and needs to be in the moment. And um, I, I revere his technique and everything he brings to the screen. Also, he's an incredibly kind person and friend. So I have an immense amount of respect for him. But then you also have just, um, you know, people who joke between takes and they don't need to stay in it. Um, and which was basically what most of the cast of, of how I met your mother. So to go from, from one sort of extreme to the other, if you will, of, um, a very sort of upbeat and carefree set to a more disciplined and, um, you know, and I, I would even say that Claire and Mandy have different techniques. Um, even within a show, people have different techniques. All of us do. Um, but yeah, it's it's always wonderful learning from from various people, like how they get into and, and come out of a character. Is there anything you've yet to try in terms of an approach to the work that you're eager to put to use, whether it's on season two of the show or any other project you touch? I mean, it's interesting because my friends will tell you that I stay in accent um, or, or I you know, even if I'm not exactly an accent for the entirety of the show, it's not a method thing for me. It's just a matter of like my brain not forgetting how to do the dialect. Um, so uh, yeah, that's something that I I think helps me and it, it might be a subconscious thing, but I, I, I'd like to continue it because I think it does help with just how you sort of, um, it, the ease of going in and out of it because it's my brain just doesn't function the way some people do, which is like going out into the accent, come out of the accent very, very easily. All right, let's get into a film really briefly. So okay. the one that I wanted to ask about was Iron Man. Is there anything, any kind of impression that set made on you in terms of what it might mean going forward, being on like a big studio blockbuster type set? Yeah, I mean, I literally had one scene in the original Iron Man, but it was it was a very fun scene to shoot. I think I spent a couple of days with those guys uh, and I went to the to the London premiere, which is going to be the same location as a, uh, I think the London premiere that we have for this. So it's sort of coming full circle, coming back um, 16 years or so later. But John Favreau is just an incredible person, incredible director, uh, leader. He set the tone for that film. Uh, Robert Downey too. Uh, I just I didn't share the screen with him, even though my my scene is playing in. The, in his scene which is because I'm a reporter so um it, yeah all of them it was just such a pleasure because you have this expectation as a as a new actor to to meet these legends and and for there to be ego for there to be some kind of exclusivity and there really wasn't um and and John I just want to publicly thank John Favreau because he is part of the reason I think I got counter the show counterpart because Justin Marks uh the creator of counterpart worked with John on Jungle Book and because he wrote Jungle Book and um and I think he made a call to John and said you know about me and I think John spoke very favorably about me and my experience and I, I then bumped into John a few years later oh, a couple of years ago um right before the pandemic and he was so complimentary so supportive and so proud that he had me an Iron Man and now that I, I'm, I'm here so this is before Lord of the Rings but um it just, it all comes full circle for me. And uh, I think being in in that world um, helped inform this moment. I love hearing, I love hearing about uh, collaborators who continue to support each other and push each other's careers forward. Cause I feel like that's a vital part of the process here. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so absolutely. 
Another thing I always like bringing up on ladies night is some bumps in the road and how we've processed them and overcome them. And the one that I wanted to bring up was Ben Hur. And specifically because like one of the things that fascinates me most about being an artist in this industry is like you are focused on your craft and what you are creating. And then box office and business is a whole nother side of it. So in a situation like that, how do you, I guess, separate a movie success with knowing that the work you did was done well so that, you know, it doesn't get in your head when you move on to the next thing? Yeah, that's a great question. I think one thing that sticks in my mind is someone once said, if you believe the good things people say about you, then you have to believe the bad things people say about you. So the key is to know who you are, know how hard you've worked. I'm lucky that I came out sort of somewhat unscathed from from sort of critical uh, backlash from that but even if I had um, received any kind of negativity through that experience I think I would just say that we've all experienced people not liking us for various reasons reasons whether it's something we've done on screen or not and the key to key is it's so subjective and we have to let it go. We have to do our jobs, do it well. And I know that everybody at the time filming that thought they were doing the best they could. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think that, we've, that people have moved on and done other things. And um, you do things for various reasons and, and you have to sort of let it go after the fact, you know. Oh, absolutely. And uh, you really got an opportunity to work with a very special creator on that. I'm a big fan of of Timor's and how oh, he Tim. has like yeah. reshaped this industry time and time again. So what I was agree. it like working with him as a director? What kind of unique impression did he make on you? I have a lot of love for Timor. And and again, it's it's tough when things don't pan out in the commercial sense when, you know, you know, you've put your heart and soul into something. And he did. He was a, a really great guy to work with a really great director um and we we had so much fun in rome uh filming in rome we we really we, we really did and you never want things to sort of um not be received as well as you'd hope but at the same at the same time you you sort of just have to remember that you had a really positive experience working um with with the people you've worked with and um and jack and and the rest of the team are a delight and and, and brilliantly talented, by the way. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You don't have to tell me that. I love that <laughs> ensemble so much. All right. Yeah. Tiptoeing into Rings of Power now. I wanted to go back to your first audition for the role, especially given the fact that, you know, this is like a highly anticipated, highly top secret production here. So what would you say is the biggest difference between auditioning for Rings of Power versus any other audition you've done before? Well, first of all, it was a very long process. It was months and months, um, four different auditions, one in person, three on tape, because I was traveling around the world on various things and um, just waiting, the anticipation of surely we must have some news. And all I kept hearing, hearing is um, you're in the mix, you're in the mix. And we hear that often as actors, but usually we get the answer to that sooner <laughs> and not, it doesn't usually take four or five months to hear what the outcome is. And so the anticipation was killing most of us. I think the journey was similar for most of the actors. Um, and when I got the news, it was very short turnaround. So it was like, you got the job, you're moving to New Zealand in like three weeks. So you need to uproot your life and move to New Zealand. And of course I was beyond happy to and excited and felt so blessed. Um, yeah, I, it, it really is a dream come true. 
throughout that entire process? Was it always, because I know sometimes when you have a big ensemble, you might go in for one role and then wind up with another. Was it always Bronwyn the entire time? It was always Bronwyn for me. I know that people, various people audition for various parts. For me, I've only, I only auditioned for Bronwyn. Um, at that time, she had a code name. We all had code names, um, pseudonyms. So yeah, to sort of keep it under wraps. But um, the one thing I knew was that this is the character I'm playing. Now, how that fit in to the series and how Bronwyn, which species she would be or, or um, type of Middle Earther, I had no idea. Okay, so then you you book the role, you're getting ready to move to New Zealand and you do whatever beginning prep you have to. What is the biggest difference between what you envisioned for the character before hitting set and then who she turned out to be when you actually got to dig into the role? Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like she, I knew that she was a healer. I knew she was the single mother of a rebellious teenage son. I knew she was in a forbidden romance with an elf. What I didn't and realized that she she was also going to sort of tap into her inner strength and resilience and there was going to be more to her than meets the eye as far as that strength and um that she would assume any kind of sort of responsibility for her people that was new to me as the as the season went along and I realized that there is she's so multifaceted um and I I just love that about her and I, it really really made me want to just sort of dive in to play there's so much about her that resonates with me she's a healer I was pre-med um and also this sort of like desire to liberate her people from the shackles of their past um resonates with me because I'm an activist from my homeland Iran a human rights activist so there's so much uh, she's sort of like the fantastical version of myself which I love I love how that connection happens. So you brought you brought up her people. I'm not sure if you're even able to answer these types of things, or maybe I'm overthinking it and making it too specific. But I know she said she was born in Horton, but then she obviously moves. What does she think her her people is? Is it uh, town specific or is it more Southland in general? It's Southland in general, the Southlanders, who basically historically her ancestors hundreds of years back chose the side of evil over good and they're they're, they're now paying for it um they were banished to barren lands they were you know forced to s- start from scratch with nothing being watched over by the elves not trusted very much outcasts uh in middle earth and she sort of her her desire is to sort of liberate them so that they're not sort of occupied and watched but at the same time sort of have them also move on from their past and um it's a tall order this is someone who is already sort of an outcast because she's in a forbidden romance with a with an elf a single mother to a rebellious teenage son she's got a lot of obstacles um and so yeah to overcome them and to win and that's what i mean by her inner strength she has to win the the trust and the sort of that that position of of leadership with within her own people Oh my God, I have so many follow-up questions before before I go too far into more character specifics. There's one other part of the process of making a show that I wanted to ask you about because whether it's a, a pilot episode or in your case, filming two episodes and then going on hiatus and then coming back, you can learn like a whole lot with that time to reflect. So what would you say is something that you learn while making episodes one and two, you were able to reflect on and then apply to the work going forward? Well, I think... It was great because we had J.A. for the first two episodes, J.A. Boyanya, who's phenomenal. And I learned so much from him because he did takes, for example, where he'd do silent takes. So he'd play music in the background, but you wouldn't say your dialogue. So you'd go through all the emotions of a scene. I've never done this before. That's the coolest thing I've ever heard. I've never heard of that before. 
it's so cool but what that allowed me to do was sort of remind myself because actors you know sometimes we learn the lines and we deliver the lines and we think that that might be all there is to it of course there's layers um but what that helps you do is remember the emotional context of the scene and not rely on your, your words alone um so it's a constant reminder throughout the season that even though other directors don't have that technique that you it's a really fun tool to be able to remind yourself that some a lot of the times what we're communicating is not actually doesn't have to be through words I'm never going to forget that. I feel like I'm going to find excuses to bring up something of the sorts during interviews going forward now. Um, all right. So more Bronwyn specifics. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about was the costume in particular. And if you could pinpoint some details of it that I guess kind of speak to her past, speak to where she is now, and maybe even anything that might reflect where she wants to go in the future. Yeah. I mean, I uh, costume designer Kate Hawley's just genius like though she had this thing um she had a room uh, I think it was called the war room I can't remember exactly what she called it but it was so incredible you walked in and she had basically created a whole world of costumes and images uh and ins inspiration images of inspiration that that helped her form those costumes for the various five different worlds the dwarves halfwits elves humans and and Numenorians, um Southlanders and Numenorians. And, and to go in there was to recognize that she was so important to creating what you see on screen. Um, the costumes are a character in and of themselves. And I think Bronwyn's is, you know, Bronwyn reminds me a lot of the Ruby character in Cold Mountain played by Renee Zellweger, um, sort of like of the earth, very sort of grounded movements. Um, there's nothing glamorous about the character. Um, and her costume, even though my, my, I'm constantly covered in dirt and mud, um, but, you know, the costume is blue and she chose blue for Bronwyn, despite the fact that the canvas, if you look at the overall canvas of the Southlanders, there, there's a lot of beige, um, gray and beige. But with her, that pop of blue almost signifies that she's an out, outcast, that there's something different about her, that she's slightly ostracized. Um, and an element of rebellion of like that you know she doesn't quite fit in with the rest of them in her ideas and the way she is um and that that yearning for reaching out and connecting with the other which is sort of her romance with the elf uh, forbidden romance um so that even that in and of itself and then people don't realize but I was wearing sort of these custom handmade leather leggings if you will or pants with handmade leather boots like stitched to perfection that I really want I need those boots in my life um but yeah I mean all those things the element the little things that made her feel empowered that made her feel uh, like Bronwyn i yeah is there any significance Sorry. to the the cuff on her arm no 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 particular significance that Kate told me about other than the fact that um she felt we we did talk about the fact that she it, you know Bronwyn is a bit of a unassuming sort of warrior you know she becomes sort of and it's it was sort of empowering to have that there there's some there's a little bit of like shield like element to it that makes you want to fight if you will from the yeah. viewer perspective I see something like that and I'm like I need an arm cuff now because it's going to yeah. make me feel stronger so it had it the intended effect yeah 
Um, let's get into a specific now from episode two. There's, there's one particular beat that kind of really like caught my eye and ear. It's the moment where, um, Theo tells her to run out and get help. And there's a pretty long pause at the door where she's definitely thinking about doing what he said, but then she goes back in. So for you playing a moment like that, what is fueling that decision to go back in instead? It's the mama bear in her. She understands that if she leaves to get help she may never see her son again and it's almost that idea that no one is going to protect my son like I can I have to if anything happens to him I have to be here for him and me leaving him and if anything happens to him I will never forgive myself so I think um again it was her idea of sort of I can't leave my baby and in that moment she had the decision of, of do I run for help or do I hide somewhere and try to get to my son and save him myself um and that's I think the first first time you see Bronwyn's sort of inner lioness come out and to protect her her baby her cub she gonna have her hands full protecting him (laughs) yep um, you've you've also brought this up already, but she is very clearly shaping up to be a leader and all, already has those qualities in her. What are tactics and approaches to leadership that would make her stand out from other leaders that we are going to see in Rings of Power? I think I see her as a grassroots leader. So she's not she's not um, she's not an expected leader. She's not a political type. She's not a diplomat. She's not um, she wasn't born to do this. She earned it because she she's sort of like someone whose instincts are really strong who has a very sort of I feel like has a a strong moral compass um and and is a unifier of types I don't don't think she's like it's not sort of us versus them she she seeks sort of what's the best way to move forward and and leave the negativity behind us and and forge a strong future and come together and how do we work with in, instinctively she wants to overcome um the bad in her past the negative in her, her the southlanders past and and form a better future so there's she's a character that's filled with hope and um doesn't sort of hold on to the darkness that a lot of i think a lot of southlanders have a hard time moving on from their their lot in life and what they you know they, they sort of see themselves as the victims of of all of this and why are we outcast why are we not trusted whereas with her she's trying to more overcome that and I think that lends itself to sort of um hope and moving forward after seeing the episodes and then talking to you and Markella and how you emphasize certain qualities in your characters, it's like no wonder that I am most drawn at this point to Bronwyn and Nori. I Aww. very much love what is sh- like really like shining through both of your performances in these first Thank two episodes. You. And I can't wait to see more. Congratulations Thanks. on this and everything you've accomplished. Thanks for sharing some of your stories with us on Ladies Night. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a huge fan of your show. That means the world to me. Thank you. So I'm a huge fan of your show now, too. I'm so glad Uh, I finally got to see episodes. I'm so glad. Me too. It's really hard to do interviews without that. (laughs) Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.